This is the Scoop Duck Podcast. Scoop Duck Podcast. Scoop Duck Podcast. Every game. You are going to go back to throw the ball. Sets up, look, throws toward the corner of the end zone. It is intercepted! Intercepted! The next time the ball! Every story. If we just continue to push and grind and go and take care of our guys, it's going to be built to last. The Scoop Duck Podcast. Scoop Duck owner, Justin Hopkins. And Matt Bagley from 96.1, 580, The Game. Hey, everybody. Matt Bagley with you. Scoop Duck and Hi-Fi. Justin Hopkins alongside me via Zoom chat. Uh, it, it was an ugly win for the Ducks. They got the win, and we're going to break it down just about every which way we can and feed you as much material as we can on the game formerly known as the Civil War. Uh, we're also joined by QB11, great moderator from Scoop Duck, and a, a guy that has a ton of fun dunking on Husky fans all the time on Twitter. And then we'll have uh, Hithliday, uh, a pal from Addicted to Quack, who writes these really insightful film breakdowns. Um, before we get to those guys, Justin, just real quick, I called it an ugly win on Saturday. How do you feel about that win? Yeah, that's. I mean, that's accurate. It was an ugly win. I know some Oregon fans are upset. Didn't like. Uh, didn't like the flow of the game. Didn't like the look of the game. But it's hard to argue the outcome of the game. Um, and again, got to peel all of this back. This is a weird year. Uh, you know, no spring ball, new offensive coordinator, pretty much an entirely new offense except for a running back and wide receiver, um, and still put up 38 points. And then UCLA brought it. I mean, they brought a great game plan, even though they didn't have DTR. Uh, Dorian Thompson Robson had to sit. I thought their quarterback did a good job. I thought Chip Kelly did a good job of managing his flaws and using his strengths, which was, you know, limiting asking him to throw the deep ball, which was clearly something Chase Griffin was not comfortable with just yet, um, and made it tough on Oregon. And and one of the things I love Chip, I know Oregon fans love Chip, and he had some tremendous wins at Oregon. But if you go back and you think Chip Kelly had a lot of beautiful losses. I mean, he really did. You'd have times where Oregon's putting up 40, 50 points and they still managed to lose the game somehow, some way. And I don't know that I'd really, you know, clarify this game as that for him where it was a, a beautiful loss. I suppose it was a little bit as much as it was an ugly win. We've seen Oregon grit out some ugly wins under Mario Cristobal. And it's really just something interesting to kind of think about. Um, I know there's a lot of numbers and statistics and, and all that stuff that go into these football games. But, I mean, that's just what good teams do, a good culture with good players, uh, you know, getting a play when they need it, being able to move the chains on a, on a tough third down and, and keep a drive going. Whatever the case might be, you know, Oregon's been able to do that under Mario Cristobal. Uh, you know, they took Chip Kelly's best shot, got a win, move on to 3-0, and 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 now move on to – uh, I don't know. The, I still call it the Civil War. Maybe we need to change it to a symbol. I'm not really sure what to do here, but uh, I'm excited to see Oregon get back on the football field this week and see if they can rebound with maybe a little bit of a better win. Yeah, yeah and you're not the only one who's probably going to call it that. Ducks are playing Oregon State on Friday. Hithliday and QB11 are going to help us break that down. They're also going to look back at the Ducks' win over Chip Kelly's UCLA Bruins. Hithliday, QB11. Let's uh let's dial them up. Get them on right now. 
I love doing this four-man pod because it makes my job really easy. I can come up with, with maybe one question or two questions and then just let everybody else have a bite of this. Uh, guys, let's just round table on this. Ducks get the win. UCLA goes down in the final minute. How do you feel about that one? Well, I'll do my entire uh, breakdown on on uh, Tuesday morning at Addicted to Quack. Of course, all the numbers. The the two things that stand out to me as being uh, concerns, uh, because I think that Justin is right. You know, this is a very Mario Cristobal kind of win. Like, you know, maybe it's not pretty. Maybe you don't like the way it it, it looks or feels. But at the end, you know, that dude's going to grind out wins. Um, uh, the two things that stood out were uh, number one, missed tackles. Um, more than anything else on defense, that was the biggest problem. In fact, you know, schematically or structurally, they were usually almost always in the right place in order to 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 make the successful stop. And then they just whiff on the tackle. It was kind of crazy. Like I, I don't think I've ever seen a team whiffing uh, that badly before. Certainly not the Ducks team. Um, so that was you know nuts and i don't you know i have no insight on why that is film study can't tell you that uh but it it was definitely the pattern and then the other thing is uh uh on offense probably the most concerning thing was the offensive line look human um for the first time all year uh you know they're you know i think duck fans were sort of uh you know elated that they had you know five new starters and it was like wow this looks like the you know the best line in america and they're just road grading everybody and in, in this game like you know they weren't uh and so hard to know what to, to make of that going forward um but uh you know it was definitely the first time we'd seen that yeah, I agree with Hiffle today. I think the offensive line, maybe their performance partially, I think I think it's a two-part answer. I think part of it is, is they played like a group of five new starters for the first time. Um, we've been lucky through the first two games that they've played really well, but I also think it has something to do with giving some credit to Azanaro and the defensive staff at UCLA for dialing up some different looks and a lot of pressure pressure looks. Um, there was There was rarely a time where they weren't bringing more than we had um, from a numbers perspective. So that, that made things challenging. So you're, you're adding in a, a new element with a lot of exotic looks. And then um, you just, just constantly getting that thrown at you. There's going to be some mental errors that take place. And, and we saw that um, also just some really good players like Oso Digizua, who is physically just a bad matchup for some of the guys that we play on the interior of the offensive line. Um, but yeah, it's a, it was a frustrating game to watch. Uh, it was frustrating from the sense, at least for me defensively, that, our run fits were actually better, but we just didn't tackle well. We didn't finish well. Um, some of our uh, angle pursuit angles uh, at the second level by linebackers and mostly safeties were, were pretty poor. And then when we got there, we just didn't bring a very big stick. It was just it was poor form tackling. It was uh, it was it was definitely frustrating to watch. So um, it's it's a new a unique year, obviously, as we know. And I would normally hate to do something like this, but as we know it, we've only seen, well, Oregon's been fortunate to get all three games in, but that's actually also the halfway point in the regular season. So a small sample size, but unfortunately it's a sample size we've got right now. You know, Oregon's 3-0, barely beats UCLA, um, does a pretty good job on the road against Wazoo, um, does a pretty good job against Stanford. Small sample size, but what we have, what are right now, after what we've seen, what are your biggest concerns about Oregon on offense and defense. Just give me one or two things on each side. Um, QB, let's go ahead and start off with you. Moving forward, that is. Yeah, well, defensively, it's got to be the the, sa- the safety group um, in particular. I think Jamal Hill's been good. 
Um, coverage has been suspect in the middle of the field. One thing that needs to be said, though, is that our corners have played outrageous. Like, they've been fantastic the entire season. Nobody has gotten really anything in the passing game against them outside of, like, a lucky player or two against Stanford. Um, and then some and sometimes against Washington State where Delora was throwing it into the hole of the zone. Uh, but but tackling at the safety position, uh, getting Pickett back in the second half actually was a big boost for the tackling department. Uh, getting Steve Stevens back hopefully will help too. But it just seems like the communication between our, our pretty new group of linebackers and our pretty new group of safeties um, is not good, both in zone coverage and then also just from an angles, leverage, and tackling perspective, it needs to improve. That's my biggest concern uh, defensively, offensively. I think it's uh, basically center and left guard. It's that kind of rotation of um, walk, Forsyth, and Bass. We need to get find the two guys that are really going to play at a high level against better competition because um, no disrespect to Ryan Walker or Alex Forsyth, but physically uh, they got manhandled a little bit by Odigazoo on Saturday, and uh, we got to figure out what group gives us the best chance of that not happening. Uh, but also just allowing those guys more time to gel will help. Uh, but Tyler Shuck really bailed them out and played well against pressure on Saturday. Heath, what do you, what do you got? Well, I, I think the thing that's impressed me most about the offense uh, has been how varied it is. You know, uh, against Wazoo, they were uh, breaking out every different type of RPO I've ever seen in my life. Um, <laughs> and against uh, UCLA, you know, there was some of that, but like it was, and it wasn't like a totally new playbook or anything. You definitely recognize the same concepts, uh, but uh, they were running the exact same game plan not even close um you know i I really think that uh joe moorhead is a master of his craft and you know he's designing offenses uh uh, schemes you know week to week which really do take advantages uh you know i you know one of the benefits of doing film study both on the opponent and on the the oregon is that like hey i see vulnerability there and sure enough joe moorhead's attacking it so you know obviously i'm gonna like that um and uh, I, I agree with QB uh, about the defense. Um, you know, the, the safety situation, I think, has been hit uh, hard by some sort of under the radar personnel stuff. You know, McKinley being out for uh, an extended stretch for the targeting and then uh, Pickett being out with an extended stretch and then Steve Stevens. You know, I, I think those are, you know, probably their three best safeties uh, at this point. And, and Oregon hasn't been, you know, other than the first half against Stanford, uh, Oregon has had all of them at any given time and remember they're trying to play some dime package so having a bunch of safeties on the field simultaneously would be really valuable um so it would be good to get all those guys back i I think they have a decision to make uh regarding um jordan happel and bennett williams i'm not really sure what's going on there because it's very clear that uh one of them has you know big athletic limitations but uh has been seeing the field a lot more so you know we will have to keep our eye on that one uh going forward and the other thing i'll I'll say is that the inside linebacker depth is getting to be fairly precarious you know in between flow and sewell's injuries um and and sort of some underperformance i think out of uh uh uh, some of the other guys that are deeper down on that uh, depth depth chart, like it's starting to to become a vulnerability. And I think a lot of what we saw in terms of you know tackling and uh, and then on outside runs, like getting in the right position, recognizing it, and hitting the trigger early. Um, I think that's you know probably coming down to personnel questions as well. It it will be nice to see this team at full strength. I don't think we really have this year. Uh, linebacker. No, depth. And I want to also add that there was a. Uh, good report that uh, Noah Sewell was practicing full go this morning too. So he's he's not doesn't sound like he's gonna he's gonna miss any time uh, going forward. At the very least, doesn't sound like they're gonna amputate his leg or anything. We'll we'll see him sooner <laughs> or later. 
Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So that's that's a necessity for Oregon right now. Without Justin Flo, uh, Drew Mathis has been suspects is probably being friendly. Um, and ISM has not played the way that I would anticipate he'd play coming off two really strong years with lots of snaps. He's got to, he's got to, he's got to tighten it up a little bit. And uh, I, it's just, it's been, it's like almost like he's loafing in pursuit sometimes. So he's got to up the energy a little bit. The other praise that I'll uh, give since I gave some for the offense uh, is it, Oregon's pass rush is actually performing pretty damn well. Um, you know, I know a lot of people are, set because the sack numbers hasn't haven't been great this sort of an arbitrary statistic what you can see very clearly on films they are affecting the quarterback not only affecting the quarterback in terms of hurries you know or pressures are, are causing you know the the throw to be inaccurate but they're forcing earlier throws like if you look at the heat map uh for for uh for Jaden delora and for uh, uh griffin the ucla quarterback they are throwing almost exclusively short stuff you know unless they've got yeah. you know a wide open receiver which is more has to do with safeties anything else like they are thrown within two seconds and that you know in that way you are affecting the structure of the opponent's offense and so you know if it doesn't show up in the stat sheet it doesn't show up in the stat sheet but you know it it's very clear on film that the pass rush is doing a, a, a great job now i, I want to see some more quarterbacks hit their butts you know everybody does but like uh you know the it's very clear that opponents are, are being forced to march down the field unless they get a wide open shot downfield. And, and that is, you know, something to be thankful for because most teams can't do that. Yeah. And building off of that, like we're talking about the pass rush. If, if we can get a little bit better coverage in the middle of the field in the back half between the linebackers and safeties, there was four times that I noted in the first half that Thibodeau was about a half a step away from a sack. And there's other times throughout the game where guys like Jackson and Doralis are right there. Christian Williams. I mean, that, pick six at the end of the second quarter by Happel was a play and that was one of those classic Brady breeze, right time, right place yeah. plays where he was fast enough to get into the end zone. But Brandon Dorless and Kayvon Thibodeau made that interception. I mean, those, yeah. they, they pushed the quarterback out of the court, out of the pocket off platform and then just absolutely murdered him. So um, <laughs> the, the pass rush is good. I I'm kind of sick of seeing the stuff on the defensive line. The defensive line isn't the issue. It's that we, we can't cover in the middle of the field for more than a second and a half at a time at the moment. And uh, kind of agreeing with fifth of the day, I have, I have absolutely no clue why Bennett Williams isn't playing more because uh, physically he's better. And in the small sample size of plays that we've had of Bennett Williams in the game at safety, He's A, been a fantastic tackler in every opportunity, and B, he's shown more vertical athleticism and coverage. So uh, I'm really interested to see if his snap count increases over the coming weeks. I hope they don't use the pick six as an excuse to keep Apple in the game because that's a play that any safety on the roster should be able to make given what the defensive line did. So, you know, something that I've felt, and I, I, I feel like I'm, I'm getting a stronger sense of it from, from you two talking, is that ultimately, you know, I don't. I don't think Oregon safeties are great, but we also haven't really seen a starting group of safeties for more than like a half a football. So it's kind of a mixed bag there, and, and ultimately, it really just sounds like it might be the linebackers, uh, maybe just you know inexperience or what you want to call it. That might actually end up being Oregon's Achilles at the moment with all those short route, crossing routes, intermediate routes right there in the middle, and those guys not maybe handing off or communicating to cover those. Would you guys say that that could potentially be one of Oregon's biggest problems defensively? Oh, well, 100%. Most, it, it's, the, it's the back end in the middle of the field. It has nothing to do with the cornerbacks. It has nothing to do with the defensive line. It's right in the middle of the field. 
Yeah, and when Jerome McKinley's healthy, he helps a lot. He made some nice plays underneath coverage. Jamal Hill has been fine. I mean, he's made mistakes, but for the most part, he's been pretty consistent. It's it's primarily the boundary safety, and then whenever McKinley's not available, the free safety. The problem is, is that while Nick Pickett's a much better tackler and that shows up uh, in the second half when he came back into the game, we started getting a lot more stops. Um, his his biggest limitation is he's not the best cover guy in man situations. So it kind of lowers the inventory of coverages that we can run with him on the field. Um, but at this point, we need to get as much tackling as we can because if, if we're always in third and short situations, it's going to be really tough. My other big question is, is that at times last year, even in nickel, we would go heavier in, in short yarded situations. There were a couple of times yesterday, I believe one, uh, I haven't had time to film study yet, uh, UCLA was in a 13 personnel package with three tight ends in the back. Maybe it was 12. And we stayed in just a base nickel package where we had two heavy guys on the inside and then Funa and Thibodeau were lined up. And it's like, we're, we're never going to stop anyone in a short yard situation I, with that. I, I, I clipped that out. I, I'm almost definitely going to put that one in my article. I know exactly what you're talking about. It's, it is curious. I, I don't, you know, they're, they will never get lower than a nickel and their safety is their biggest problem. I don't get it. Like, Put on a fourth defensive lineman, you know, like it's, yeah, I, I don't know. It seems like it's an ideological commitment, um, which I don't get. Well, even last year, we, and at times we were in that situation, but instead of, we would stay in nickel, but traditionally in a nickel package, you got, for those who don't know, you have five defensive backs on the field. And so what you do is you take a heavy defensive lineman out. Well, last year, what they did is they took an outside linebacker out like a Funa or a Thibodeau, and they would bring on another big body. In this case, it'd be a doorless. And you would still have last year was Holland, but this now would be Hill lined up on the edge. Now, obviously, Holland was a really special player, and he could get away with that. But you you got to match size and personnel groupings. If you don't do that, you're not giving yourself a chance in those short yarded situations. So offensively, okay. So I feel like we've covered the defense there again. You know, I hate to get too far into the stuff because it's a it's a weird season. You got the contract, you know, tracing. You've got guys missing. You've got you know, we don't even honestly. I don't know about you guys. I don't even know how good UCLA is. I mean, you think, okay, they, you know, they 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 beat up on Cal, but how good is Cal? And now we're looking at Oregon State, and they beat up on Cal, but they, you know, kind of had Washington on the ropes, and and somehow didn't get that one closed out. Um, whatever the case might be, there seemed like a, <coughs> a Pac-12 call. But anyways, offensively, it, it sounds like the offense is in pretty good hands. They didn't run the ball incredibly well against UCLA is that mostly attributed to a obviously UCLA sold out to stop the run but be the interior of the offensive line Hith what'd you see there uh both of those things definitely I mean they were just getting more through the air and you know to Joe Moorhead's credit you know he wasn't trying to fit a square peg into a round hole um and you know they, they were playing seven eight guys in the box on virtually every snap and and yeah the, and on top of that you know when they were you know t- it is true that Oregon was not getting a lot of absolute yardage uh, rushing. On the other hand, most of the time when they were straight running the ball was in short yarded situations and they picked them up every single time. So like, Oh no, they only got five yards. Well, on third and two, five yards is pretty good, you know? <laughs> um, and, 
And, uh, uh, and then yes, the, you know, the offensive line, particularly a uh, uh, you know, was, was just sort of blowing up the interior of the line. I, I think there are some choices to be made at offensive line. And frankly, I wouldn't be surprised if we see some new guys in 2021. That's sort of the other cloud that sort of hangs over all of this is I don't, I don't want to suggest that uh, Mario Cristobal isn't taking games seriously. Like <laughs> obviously not it's the most competitive <laughs> person in the universe. Uh, but I think that he's got some other priorities as well including like hey let's get some new guys on the field let's get some film on them you know let's uh you know try some of these guys out because i am seeing way more uh backups and freshmen uh through the first three games of 2020 than i have saw in the entirety of 2019 like he is during meaningful time putting some very very young players on the field because it's you know it's it's essentially you know the 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 red shirt you know the red shirt rule where you get to play four games well now you get to play eight games you know and it doesn't affect your eligibility so he's like why not you know put all these guys on uh you know we're seeing christian williams keon weir hudson and and Swinson and a bunch of other, you know, guys on the defense. And then on the offense, you know, we've seen Chris Hudson and, and uh, you know, a, a, a bunch of new receivers, a bunch of new offensive linemen. And I think, you know, a large part of that is just like, hey, let's collect some high quality film in real game time situations. So we have something to work on over the offseason to make some decisions for 2021 when I think they're really setting up to make a run. Yeah. And that's, I think, a positive thing, too, because. We're, if we can make it through this season winning every game, if we can go undefeated and win the Pac-12 title while simultaneously force-feeding reps to this large group of young players that are all going to be back next year, it's a, it sets you up really nice going into next season. Um, also, just kind of leaning on what, what Hifflede said about the offense, numbers dictated that Oregon threw the ball. That's, that's the way UCLA was going to make us beat them. And we did. And Chuck was really, really good. Obviously, he wasn't perfect. He made a lot. He made some mistakes. There were some inaccurate balls. There were some times where he took sacks that he probably should have thrown the ball away. But seeing Devin Williams go out there and just be the best receiver, best, frankly, probably the best player on the field offensively, um, was exactly what you wanted to see. I mean, going into next year, going into the future, you have a six-five thoroughbred on the outside that can go out and make plays in man-to-man coverage. Even when he's covered, he's open. So. Um, there's a lot of positives to take away from this game too. I know we've been kind of focusing on the negatives, um, but th- that game was a couple drives going one way or another from looking completely differently. If Oregon can execute in a, in a few places offensively and defensively. So it's not all bad. A lot of this stuff can get cleaned up. Uh, there's some personnel concerns, especially with depth. Noah Sewell has to stay healthy and stay on the field. I don't feel comfortable with Cunningham or Mathis, um, but offensively, I think there's a lot to be happy about going forward, getting Camp Moyer back. He caught the ball better than we've ever seen him catch the ball, and he was just absolutely insane as a blocker. He was fantastic. Yeah, it's almost like uh, Mario Cristobal's, you know, having his cake and eating it too. You know, being able to stay three and zero, but like you guys said, getting meaningful reps for what is a really young team, but also probably playing even more youth than he would have normally done uh, on a given year. And that's, I mean, it's pretty easy to say that when you have you know, the number of starting opt-outs that he did in this offseason, given all that's gone on, you know, Panay Sewell, Javon Holland, Brady Brees, Thomas Graham, et cetera. So um, it, it sounds like Oregon's being kind of almost groomed for that next season. You know, uh, to piggyback on what you said just now, QB, you know, there might not be a more important piece to this team than Devin Williams for next year. Mm-hmm. You know, is he the guy that kind of takes that next step? You know, should Johnny Johnson and Jalen Red decide not to return, which they could or could not? Uh, you know, suddenly you're really kind of counting on Devin Williams and some freshmen um, to be your go-to guys. So that's really I'm, big. 
Sorry, I don't mean to interrupt, but Oregon's going to be fine at wide receiver regardless. I mean, Oregon's got a six-man rotation right now that guys that are all playing the best football they've ever played, and they're bringing in a bunch of talent next year, as obviously you know. Um, yeah. But the, 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 the biggest thing is this isn't a young roster. This is lit- literally the number one youngest roster in college football right now. Like of 2016, this is the youngest one player for player. Yeah. I went back just real quick and I planned on doing an article on it. I'm not sure if I'll get to it this, this year, but just comb through the 2019 roster on goducks.com and just start looking at all the names that are gone, you know, and it's like, man, that guy, that guy started, that guy played a ton. That guy started, you know, it was just down the list and you just, you know, not only, maybe he didn't lose every starter per se, but you lost a lot of guys that were, you know, your first guy off the bench and played a ton of meaningful snaps, you know, a Bryson Young or a, a, a Cumberlander or, you know, and I'm just throwing out some names. I know some of those guys got injured, but, you know, those were guys that were first off the bench and made you feel better about your depth chart at, at a certain position. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden that depth chart's not only filled by a true freshman now, it might be an injured true freshman or, uh, you know, whatever the case might be. Uh, spinning ahead, just because I know we don't want to be here for two, two or three hours. Oregon State, okay, offensively, defensively, what have we seen from the sample size there? What are we going to see on Friday from them against Oregon? Um, Hithliday, why don't you kick us off with with what you kind of have seen from Oregon State in your limited film study? Uh, well, you're going to see Jamar Jefferson and B.J. Baylor. You know, their rushing offense is, you know, they're, they're at a 63% success rate, which is, that's a championship level. That's, you know, that's Oregon's rushing success rate in 2019. Um uh, they're very good, and, and and it's in large part due to those running backs. I mean, I think their offensive line is is uh, decent, you know. Uh, and considering their losses of seniors over the off season, like it, it's actually a pretty impressive job by their well coach Jim Halchek. Um, but it, you know, it's largely that you know Jamar Jefferson is just an incredible running back. Um, he was injured a little bit last year. I, I think it was, it was holding him back, and and Art Pierce was really good too. And you know, why not feed that guy? Um, that's pretty much the only thing they've got going on. Their passing offense is uh, below water pretty significantly. I mean, it should be said they played against um, uh, Washington and Cal's DBs, who might be some of the you know the best DBs in the conference. But nonetheless, you know, it does look like you know Gebby's not pulling them out of any holes. Um, and when they get behind, you know, uh, they they can't quite run out of it. Like Jefferson's a very efficient back, but their number of explosive plays. I know he's had some very memorable ones that you've probably seen on Twitter, but they're just not hitting explosive plays that often um and, and so you know they, they get behind they're sort of in trouble offensively uh defensively um uh, not great the 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 they're below water on their rushing defense uh, efficiency numbers that's largely because they had one nose tackle they're really counting on and he's medically unavailable due to maybe the most awful issue i've ever heard um and they've had to literally change their defensive structure which i've like never seen that before they've gone from a three four to a base two four and they just can't stop the run at all like they don't have the beef in order to do it um and then their pass defense is a little bit above water um, at 54% uh, efficiency. Um, but I sort of think that has more to do with the quarterbacks that they've played. You know, they, they played Chase Garbers and, and, and Dylan Morris, who might be the two worst quarterbacks in the Pac-12. Um, and, and the other thing you got to remember with Oregon State, sort of grain of salt for all of this, is that they've played Wazoo's first game, Washington's first game, and Cal's second game. Like they're they're getting a lot of the benefit of the early game jitters that we've seen all, uh, throughout the country. So you know it's kind of hard to read too much into the 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 numbers for that reason. Um, 
And the last thing I'll say is their defense commits a lot of penalties, like a crazy amount of penalties. The offense co- commits very few. And so like you, that balances out and you wouldn't see it in the numbers. But since I can split it out for offense and defense, like, boy, the, the defense is hacking a lot. Um, and I think you might see that on Friday. QB, what are yeah. you seeing? Maybe less numbers, but what are you kind of seeing from the Beavs? Yeah, I mean, same stuff. I mean, just they're 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 trying. Like it's funny. Like, you watch the interior of the defensive line. I tweeted this last week. They're doing everything right, and they're still getting reset by three or four yards every play. They're just physically not. They don't have the the tools to get it done. They don't have the bodies. They don't really have a very deep rotation. Um, limited by injury, and they were already limited going into the year. Um, this is a game where. Uh, Joe Moorhead should be able to do absolutely whatever he wants. Um, Oregon has advantages across the board. Uh, there's no Oso Digizu in the middle of this defensive line that's gonna that, that that's gonna be a problem for any of the interior offensive linemen that we field. Um, this is a game where Oregon should kind of just pick the number of rushing yards and passing yards they have and have it. Um, the the biggest concern is. Um, is the is the the run defense going to be more consistent? Are we going to tackle better? Because these are two good backs. I'd probably argue the two best backs that we've played so far this year. I mean, Felton's a good player, but Jefferson's probably a little better, bigger, bigger, more physical back. Which, with when you have a tackling problem, that's generally not a good thing. So, <laughs> uh, stop, stop the run. Um, do whatever you want offensively. This should be a game that Oregon wins going away, but uh, that'll all come down to how we defend the run. This is actually one. I usually am an advocate for uh, Oregon deferring for the second half. This is one I'd really like to see him win the flip and take the ball. Because if they go up 14-0, the game is over. They Oregon State can't get out of that hole. No, and this is a game where you could really pad those stack those sack numbers because as good as they as, as they've been um, running the ball, they have not been good protecting the quarterback. And Gabia has happy feet, and he, he's someone that's definitely prone to making mistakes. You'd think the Beavers would really like to have a Jake Luton back right about now, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've seen the line somewhere around 14 to 16 in favor of the Ducks. You guys think that's that's fair? That's out of line? What I mean, Vegas, it's hard to bet against those guys, but, uh, I mean, does that seem like a, a relatively fair mark for you guys in this one? Well, given that Oregon State is a much more known quantity than UCLA, obviously Oregon didn't cover against a pretty high spread. Uh, we're to UCLA where, you know, they had a new quarterback coming in. We really didn't know what kind of offense they were going to run. Um, we, you know, we didn't have good data about uh, UCLA because they, you know, really, they played very dis- different games against Colorado and Cal. Like, it's, you know, crazy how their defensive line got completely completely destroyed by Colorado. And then they were, you know, the reversed fortunes against Cal. I've never seen a bigger (laughs) turnaround before in my life than that, you know, defensive line performance. So, you know, that was a lot of unknowns for UCLA with Oregon state. It's a lot of knowns, man. You know, we've got three fairly good quality, you know, uh, games for them, you know, very little garbage time. So it's like all high quality stats. Uh, You know, I I think Vegas has this locked in, you know, in in their computers pretty well and, and are, you know, produced a pretty good prediction yeah this is anecdotal but like if you look at the fact that oregon didn't play very well and didn't cover against the high spread last week and the spread's even bigger this week i think that tells you how confident that vegas is and and in the disparity between these two teams so um i agree with what they said if oregon jumps out early this game will get ugly and hopefully we'll actually get to see the back of quarterback and some of these young running backs and uh Get, get get a better taste in Oregon fans' mouth because if you ask Oregon fans what the spread should be right now, they'd probably take Oregon State by 21. So, uh, <laughs> you gotta 
kind of kind of even things out a little bit. It was it was an ugly game last week, but that game could have just as easily been a twenty-one point win as it was a three-point win. Yeah, true, true. So it sounds like keys of the game are, are maybe get yourself out to a hot start if you Oregon, which hasn't been their strength, uh, and, and try to force Oregon State to be one-dimensional and that dimension be passing, and, and it should open things up and and kind of snowball from there. Uh, Matt, I, I think we covered the gamut and I know these guys have lives other than recording podcasts with us. You got anything else for him, bud? No, I, I think you guys hit on every single angle. Jermar Jefferson is going to be key. I'm glad you said it. So I don't get flack on the scoop duck boards for my annual Jermar Jefferson hype fest. Um, you have his Jersey on right now, don't you? Uh, well, yeah, I'm wearing say. the Jebbia Jersey <laughs> right now. So yeah. Matt, how, how are you? Look, how are you thinking about your beeves coming in this weekend? <laughs> <laughs> um, honestly, honestly, I think this is the easiest matchup for the Ducks all year. If I were Jonathan Smith, and it hurts to say this because I count him as a friend, I would bench Tristan Jebbia. Um, so I, I think that that at quarterback, Oregon's not going to have an issue defending anything he tries to do. I think you can take Jermar away by putting numbers in the box. And and then offensively, the question is just, just play clean, play safe, move the football when you have the football, don't fumble, don't throw interceptions, and this game should be over by halftime. Well, you sound, you're kind of giving us the coach speak there a little bit, Bagley. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, it, it uh, you know, I'm excited for a Friday game. I'm excited, you know, 430 um, should be a good game. And, you know, I do miss being able to call it the civil war. I'm not going to lie, but, uh, I'm looking forward to all the nicknames that I hear all week long about what this game should be called furthermore. All right, guys. Well, like Justin said, uh, we don't want to keep you. I mean, we, we do, but you've got lives. Uh, I, I feel like this is a good point to sign off and move on. Yeah. Take care guys. Yeah. Thanks for having us on guys. Appreciate okay. it. Thank you, guys. Love having those guys on. Love having uh, their perspective on things. Of course, Hith writing it addicted to quack and QB11 doing his thing on the Scoop Duck boards and and, uh, helping you with the site with some of his great breakdowns that he does. I feel like we covered every base on this game, but just kind of right now, how do you feel are the Ducks going to win on Friday, and and how good do they look compared to the rest of the Pac-12? Yeah, I mean, uh, I got to be honest. You know, before we've just had that, you know, session with them, I've I've done. Uh, you just muted. Oh, oh, sorry. Yeah. Okay, we got you back. Yep. You know, kind of coming off of of what we saw uh, this past weekend. You know, I thought UCLA played a really good game, and you wonder, okay, did Oregon play down? Was you know just where where were you at? And and listening to those two guys, I feel like I, I felt like this should be closer than the fourteen to sixteen points that Vegas is putting out there. But now I'm really not so sure. I really feel like that this is a game that Oregon should be able to exploit. You know the weaknesses of Oregon State, and, and uh, you know again if they can make uh, OSU one dimensional. Um, and, and force, you know, Tristan Gebbia to beat them, it's probably going to be a long day for OSU and the Beebs if yeah. that's the case. Yeah. Um, you know, so I feel I feel good about Oregon winning this game. I don't think that that's really, uh, you know, anything to be concerned about. It's just going to be a matter of, 
you know, do they put out a big win or, or is it closer than it should be because Oregon State plays a really good football game, you know, quite possibly its best game of the year? Because that's been the case. You know, so far, Stanford has not looked the same since they've played Oregon. They played Oregon incredibly well that first game, especially for our first game. You know, Washington State played uh, Oregon really well. Um, you know, obviously, they've had difficulties with the, uh, the COVID protocols playing since, but they played Oregon really well. Um, and then, you know, UCLA, they've been kind of a mixed bag, but they really showed up against Oregon. I got a feeling you're going to get Oregon State's best shot uh, this Friday. And, and I do think it'll be a little closer than 14, but I don't think the game will ever really be in that much question throughout the day. Right, right. I, I mean, Jonathan Smith is going to want to do everything he can from a play calling and a game management standpoint to grind this game and yes. and reduce the number of possessions in this game to try to keep this close. But ultimately, Tristan Jebbia can't hit the side of a barn. Uh, I, I, I love his heart. I love his mobility. I think there's things that he can do really well as a running quarterback and, and, a, and a mobile threat. But from what I've seen of the Oregon State offense, they aren't built to take advantage of that. And when they need him to throw, say if Oregon State gets into a third and long or a third and medium and you can't reliably hand it off for the first down or, or, or run a read option, I think they're in deep trouble. Um, I, I, like I said earlier, I think Oregon wins this one comfortably. Yeah, I would imagine that that's uh, Jonathan Smith's game plan is to just to absolutely try to pound the rock and, you know, take the air out of the football, if you will. And, and and keep possession of the football and try and keep Oregon's offense off the field. Um, that's probably their best formula for winning. If I'm Oregon, I'll absolutely sell out, put everybody in the box within seven, eight yards of the line of scrimmage mm-hmm. and trust that my, what I would say, all conference corners in Didi Lenore and Mikel Wright are going to be able to handle, you know, whatever they try to do from an aerial attack, you know, and take my chances there. That's what I would do if I'm Andy Avalos. If Oregon can get a couple of good stops early and put some points on the board early, this game, this, the game, the game is probably in in it's over by now, halftime if that's the case. Now, last thing before we jump into five games and the rest of the pod, uh, compare yeah. this Duck team to the rest of the Pac-12. Are they on top right now? I mean, I gotta think so, and uh, and I'll say that, and I'll say it's close. I mean, I I. I still, I know that Washington beat up Arizona last week, but it's freaking Washington. They're terrible. Um, I thought Oregon State should have beat Washington when they played a couple weeks ago, and I thought I thought the Beavers got a couple of tough calls there that went against them that really surprised me. We've actually seen fairly good officiating from the Pac-12 crew so far this year overall. I do think the Beavs got a little bit hosed there. I'm not sold on Washington. I mean, I just are, are they a good team? Yeah, are they they're a good team? Are they the best team? I'm not I'm not so sure. And, and it's much the same for USC for me as well. Obviously 3 and 0, you know, clearly their best win so far has been against Utah, which was Utah's first game so far and had their starting quarterback exit the game early. Uh, they were not nearly as good with Bentley out there. Um, you know, as they were with Cam Rising in that football game. So I'm still not sold on USC yet. I think they're going to have difficulty at the line of scrimmage with a power team. Um, you know, clearly Utah wasn't able to get that done um, this week, but again, that was first game for them. So I think Oregon's the team to beat. Uh, does it mean that Oregon is, I know you guys can't see cause this is a podcast. Does it mean Oregon's way up here and everybody else way down here? 
No, I don't think that way, especially this year. But I do think Oregon's probably the team to beat. I know that. However, the esteemed John Wilner wholeheartedly disagrees with me. If um, And uh, piggybacking on this, then I promise we'll move on to five games. They're the best team in the Pac-12. Right yes. now, is that good enough for the playoff? Um, I mean, right now, today, probably not. I mean, you're looking at a team that I think is right where they want to be at number nine. You've got some hurdles. I mean, let's face it, the SEC's got Florida, Texas A&M, and Alabama inside the top six, okay? Now, maybe some of that will shuffle out throughout the year, and you, you know the committee will not put three SEC teams in the four-team playoff, but again, that's what you're looking at right now. Cincinnati and BYU, I got a tough time believing that the committee will put Cincinnati or BYU ahead of Oregon once Oregon gets to the 7-0 and point, assuming they get to that point. I think Oregon will leap bar- leapfrog both those teams, and that's just a matter of, of the weeks passing by to get there. Unless BYU actually does live up to its anytime, anywhere mantra and play somebody uh, not currently on their schedule. It looks like that's going to be hard-pressed to happen for them. Biggest hurdle for me right now, Clemson-Notre Dame. Okay, you had Notre Dame that beat Clemson a few weeks ago. Uh, they both remain in the top four. They're both really good football teams. There's no doubt about that. Uh, Clemson and Notre Dame are on a collision course to play each other once again in the ACC Conference Championship in a couple weeks, although Notre Dame has a tough one this week, which is one of my five games, uh, which we'll be talking about in a moment. Um, I think you're looking at your biggest hurdle there is be the outcome of Clemson-Notre Dame in a couple of weeks, assuming they both went out and meet again in the ACC Conference Championship game. A close game there probably might potentially put them both in as one-loss teams ahead of Oregon, their only losses would be to each other. So that's really, right now, to me, that's the biggest threat that I can see, mm-hmm. at least for the next couple of weeks. All right. I like that analysis. I'm, I'm right there with you. Duck fans probably should be rooting for the Irish to pull off that sweep of Clemson, knock one team out of the conversation. Uh, five games. We do this every week. We share five college football games that we each think you should watch. Okay, five games. I've got mine written down. How about you? I do. I'm ready. I'm prepared. I've got them down. I've already alluded to one of them. And uh, I guess I'll just go ahead and start there. Notre Dame versus North Carolina. Yes. Top 20 matchup. That's yes. a Friday game. That's 1230. So you're going to be able to watch that game and kind of prime yourself for the Duck game. The, uh, the Civil War. I'm still going to call it that because I can. Um, I do see, just from what I've seen, that's 1230 on ABC. I do see that Vegas tends to agree that that should be a close game because they have Notre Dame as only a four and a half point favorite. So clearly they see something. I'm fully, I just, I'm not, I've said it the whole time. I'm not fully bought into Notre Dame. I think they're a good team. I think they're a top 10 team. I'm not sure that they're elite. Uh, I think they caught Clemson definitely uh, on a downtime with a number of starters missing there. I'm still not fully bought into Notre Dame. This is a dangerous game for them, in my opinion. Uh, North Carolina can put up points, and I think this, that this one can be a real big competition for them. Additionally, on Friday, you're going to get a couple games before your Duck game. I've got Stanford and Cal simply for a number of reasons. A, it's a Friday game. It's 1 o'clock on Fox. Uh, Vegas has Cal as a 1.5 favorite at the moment. 
I'm not going to get too far into this game because it wouldn't surprise me if it gets canceled for COVID. This is Monday. A lot can happen in the next three days. Uh, it wouldn't surprise me if this one gets canceled or postponed, much like the Apple Cup. But I've got Stanford and Cal just because I kind of want to see Stanford play another game. I really want to see Cal. I don't think we have a great feel for what that football team is just yet. They've had a lot of problems practicing, and it showed up on the field. So uh, that was another game for me. Those There's two so far. I'll let you kick off a couple now, Matt. Yeah, I, I have Notre Dame, North Carolina, Friday, 1230 on ABC. For, for some of the same reasons, as somebody I've watched a lot of Notre Dame football over the years, the Irish have good teams. The Irish can have great players, they can have good coaches, they can have a good season, but they always tend to trip up once or twice. It hasn't happened yet. I thought it was going to happen against Clemson. Maybe it happens on Friday. And then if it doesn't, you just roll that same take back and just watch and wait and see if if this is the year where they can all put it together. Um, That game is really fascinating to me. I didn't have Stanford and Cal on this list, and the reason was exactly what you just laid out, which is we don't know if this game is going to be played. We we really can't predict that any game in the Pac-12 is going to be played because every state has their own protocol on contact tracing and uh, basically who's safe for a game day and who isn't safe. Um, and, And we've seen that that can be a little bit of a mess so sometimes you can play a game in california when you can't play in utah sometimes you flip that you can play in in washington or utah colorado when you can't play in california i didn't touch that game because i just don't know if we're going to play it um i did have another pac-12 game on the list though and that's saturday 12 30 abc colorado who have looked way better than i expected and usc who haven't (laughs) they've looked just about right to what i expected which is a team that can win but they win with a lot of flaws that team is still unbeaten and sort of like notre dame i'm just waiting for them to trip on the rake i want to see the trojans on saturday i want to see if they can keep up their record right now i think they're really the only challenge to oregon in the pac-12 yeah, I've got that game down, Colorado-USC, Saturday game. I've got a nice little uh, Saturday slate, you know, to enjoy. Ducks play on Friday. Um, you're going to have the ability to to watch uh, all the college games you want to on Saturday. I've got Colorado-USC. That's a great test there. However, surprisingly, much to my surprise, Vegas has SC as a 13.5-point favorite there. So clearly they're seeing something uh, in USC that they don't see in Colorado. I I tend to think – Taking Colorado with that spread is the smart money there. If I was if I was going to make a bet, mm-hmm. uh, but uh, you know, obviously they put a big big point total on it for that reason. Uh, I'm sure we both have Auburn versus Bama, yes. the Iron Bowl, yes. Saturday, twelve thirty, CBS. How how can and, you not? I mean, it's yeah, the Iron I don't know. Bowl. How you, yeah, I don't know how you don't. Um, again, though, looking at that one, uh, Alabama's favored by twenty three and a half points. So clearly, right. they're 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 much. Uh, they're all in on Alabama in terms of Vegas and the spread, and, and I'm with them. I think Alabama absolutely steamrolls yes. Auburn. Yes. Uh, I'm just not sure that there's really a great team in the SEC opposite Bama. I think Alabama's a great team. I don't think Oregon wants any part of Alabama. They'd kick the crap out of them. Uh, I think the same of Ohio State. I think Ohio State would beat Oregon. I think the Ducks can hang with just about anybody after that. 
Um, I, I, I don't see a great team in Auburn. Uh, good team, not a great team. I don't see a great team in Georgia. Good team, not a great team. I see a, a pretty good team in Florida, but I don't see a great team. They've got flaws of their own. Um, you know, A&M, same thing. So I think Bama steamrolls that one, but it's still the Iron Bowl, so we're going to watch. I mean, that's just the way it goes. Um, and then last one for me is Utah and ASU. Uh, just wasn't a great slate of college football this week. Apple Cup would have been on my list, but obviously they've already postponed that game. So I did write down Utah and ASU. Like to see Utah in a second game to see exactly where they're at. We've got a one-game sample with them. Uh, ASU hasn't played for a couple weeks. Again, I probably wouldn't be surprised if that game ends up getting canceled overall, but I guess we'll see. No, uh, no update on that as of Monday afternoon. Uh, Vegas has ASU as a four and a half point favorite. Additionally, that's a Sunday game, although they have not announced a game time yet. Yeah, yeah, and I didn't put that one on the list for the same reason as the Stanford Cal game, um, but I like that game. I like the potential. You know, I'm a big believer in Jaden Daniels and Herm Edwards and what they're building down in the desert. I just need to watch them play more football games. I, I agree wholeheartedly on Bama. Saban, I believe, has built again the best team in college football like he's done countless times over the years at Bama um they're they're putting up Madden scores you know a a bad week for them is 50 and then see you know they go over 50 plus against Georgia they go over 50 plus against A&M they cross 60 against Kentucky this is a team that just every week they are going to bleed you to death and then grind your bones to dust. But it's the Iron Bowl, and I remember sitting on the couch watching the kick six a couple years ago, and remember the Cam Newton game. I've seen so many great, close, entertaining Iron Bowls over the years. To me, this is the, the easiest pick of the week of just you want a game to watch, you want to have some fun, doesn't matter what the final score is. It's going to be a fun one. I want to watch the Iron Bowl. Um, I, I do have two other games on here that I, I don't think I heard you mention. Um, I agree that there isn't depth in the SEC, but I still want to see um, some of the storylines that have come out of that conference this year. So one of those for me, Florida fan right now is trying to evaluate their quarterback Trask they feel like he might be one of the best passers if not the best passer Florida's ever had and I'm, I'm hearing a lot of rumblings of NFL scouts that are viewing him the same way so as as an NFL fan I want to watch Florida Kentucky Saturday 9 a.m. ESPN and just see what all the hullabaloo is about see how good he is And then the other game that I have down, and this is purely from an Oregon perspective of your nine in the rankings. We'll see what the playoff rankings look like. I think the first rankings come out this week. I might be wrong about that. Um, But you'll, you'll see how the Ducks stack up against a team like Cincinnati. The Bearcats could win out, and they could be a thorn in the side if the Ducks are trying to get into that playoff conversation. So you just want to see what they do every week. Uh, 1 o'clock, ESPNU, Cincinnati, and Temple. 
Yeah, I, I, uh, I mean, for me, I look at Cincinnati. I don't see a, I don't see a loss remaining on their schedule. So I'm just going to assume they're going to win out. Right. Um, and I just, I still think a seven and zero Oregon team uh, gets bumped up ahead of a, of a nine or nine and zero or ten and zero, wherever they end up. Uh, Cincinnati, somewhere around there. Um, and I, you know, for me, I, I do, I don't mind the Florida game being on there. I, I, I've watched Florida a little bit here and there. Can't say I've watched them extensively. But I mean, Alabama just boat race, boat race Kentucky sixty three to three. I've got a feeling Florida probably does much of the same there um, with them. So I did. I didn't have either of those games, but your reasons for listing them and your reasons for watching them are valid, and I do see how they apply to Oregon fans. And again, Florida's a team you've got to watch out for because if they do decide to put two SEC teams in, you got to think that Florida's the best shot of that happening now because they've got a, a, a fairly clear path of getting to the SEC East and being the champion there to play Alabama. However, should they play Alabama and lose, it would give them a second loss. So you've got to think that bounces them out of there, but you just never know. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I would say Florida is one of those probably upper five teams that you really want to watch if you're an Oregon fan in terms of playoff, in terms of playoff potential. Right. Uh, So that's our five games. Um I feel pretty good about that. We're we're almost at an hour, so we're doing great on time. Do you want to talk basketball for a couple of minutes and then go lock of the week? Yep, let's 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 take it home. Okay. So we'll switch gears. We'll talk some hoops. Oregon men starting later this week, I believe Wednesday against Eastern Washington, and then the Oregon ladies getting going as well. Knowing that the game formerly known as the Civil War, that you still call the Civil War, is on Friday, and we got a jam-packed Pac-12 slate, and we got the NFL kind of getting into the heart of its season, Um, how focused are you on basketball right now? You know, I'm just not, unfortunately, and I feel bad saying that because I'm super and I, I wholeheartedly mean this. I'm super excited for the women's season and the men's season this year. Uh, and I really want to watch, you know, the changes to the roster and how both Dana Altman and Kelly Graves, you know, make adjustments and, and, and will we see different styles of offense or defense or just what they'll do. Uh, super excited. But to me, every sport kind of has a, a place and a time, and I'm just not quite there yet. I imagine... Most Duck fans are the same way. I know there's some super fanaticals out there that, that just want sports. And right now, uh, that's 100% what we're all after is some sports and a break away from, you know, the reality and, 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 and everything that's going on. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know about you. There's Thanksgiving this week. I got turkey on my mind. There's uh, NFL games on Thursday. The Duck game is on Friday. A host of really good college football action this weekend. I haven't really given – much of a mind to the men's and women's seasons debuting, although they're about to. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm right there with you. Um, If you asked me, name a starting lineup for the Oregon men, I couldn't give you the answer. Uh, (laughs) Same question for the ladies. I can't give you the answer. I I will be really excited, though, to see some of these games, not necessarily because I expect a ton. I I do think that the ladies are going to, 
eventually have a pretty good season when they get into Pac-12 play and they, they get some chemistry and some games under their belt I think they're going to yeah. be a lot of fun this year I think that the men if they can find an answer for Peyton Pritchard which we've talked about before they can be really fun this year uh, yes what, what's fascinating to me and I, I know this as a broadcaster because we got to schedule these games to air on the radio basketball is doing something completely different than football, where, where in football, the conference is setting out a schedule months in advance, and the ADs are setting out a schedule for most schools months in advance, unless you're BYU and you're trying to you know get games or cancel games on the fly. That's what they're doing in basketball. They're, they're literally, yeah. like this Eastern Washington game for the Ducks was scheduled out of thin air, and I reached out to my buddy Joey Mack. I know you've shared the, the clips of his show and the Duck Minute and all the stuff he does. I said, Joey, you cover this team for a living. You're close to Dana. Well, what other games do they have lined up? And he told me point blank that uh, they don't. But that doesn't mean they right. won't. It, it means right. that they're going to schedule a game like how the Oregon women have games with uh, Seattle and Portland coming up, they're literally just going to call a school up and say, hey, do you want to play a week from now right. or, or a right. day from now? No game plan, no film, no practice, and play. And so right. I think you're, you're going to see a lot of really f- loose, um, fun almost eclectic basketball. You might see some games that that have a different result than you might expect just because you're not prepared to play a team. Well, it's going to look like a bunch of pickup games. Yeah. You know, it's going to look like running down to the gym and seeing a, you know, a court full of, of, of much above average players on it, you know, obviously, you know, playing and kind of just going on the fly and, and here as you and I record this and literally as you and I record this, um, the Eastern Washington game with Oregon basketball, Eastern Washington's got two starters that have tested positive for COVID. Ah. So that game, that game might be off the table already. Oh, we no. don't know. So just, you know, that's the thing, you know, as you and I record a podcast on Monday and, and it needs to sustain for the week, it's going to be hard to, you know, talk too much about men's basketball or women's basketball, given the, the current scheduling issues. So, yeah. you know, right now, uh, Wednesday's opener for men's basketball with Eastern Washington is on shaky ground. Let's put it that way. Yeah. So, uh, but I'm excited. And, and, and in due time, I mean, here's the thing. We've got three more weeks of, of, of football, of Oregon duck football. And that's assuming they are fortunate enough to play all three. And of course there's a conference championship after that. I'm well aware of that, but you've got three to four weeks where I believe you and I will heavily focus on football, continue to focus on football and then I'm happy to make that transition to basketball. And I, and I am. I am genuinely excited to cover both programs, you know, talk about it. Um, you know, I know that Max and Jacob, you know, my, my writers have both reached out about attending games for, for both men's and women's. Um, my photographer, Scott, has, you know, reached out. We're, we're still navigating the, you know, the process with men's and women's basketball about, uh, you know, having media at those and what it's going to look like. So, I mean – everything's in flux, but you know, I'm just, I'm, you know, Thanksgiving's not in flux. We still got turkeys and we got college football this weekend. Are you going to so, deep fry your turkey this year? You know, I would love to say that I am. And I've thought about it for the last two days. And I honestly just don't know that I'm going to have the time to do that. Yeah. And it's, it's painful to say it. And then I've 
was going to start look honestly after i got done with the podcast one of the things i was going to do was start looking up googling uh you know putting a turkey on the trigger and what that mm. entails and and mm. so i don't know yeah. i don't know what i'm going to do we might just have one that's you know s- sits in the oven and and does the old traditional way and and that's okay with me too. I I know some. I don't get to take the turkey hate. I mean, I see more and more people. Turkey's overrated. Turkey. No, it's a freaking tradition. It's Thanksgiving. You eat the damn turkey. You have you know mashed potatoes and you have stuffing and that's what you do. It's Thanksgiving. Don't buck their tradition. So don't get cute and start doing like leg of lamb or prime rib or other this cute shit. It's turkey. All right, people. And if you don't eat turkey, then all right, I get it. But you know, that's my rant. Yeah, I, 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 I like. Sorry, I just cut you no. off. No, you're good. I was just going to say, I like my turkey on Thanksgiving. I don't care if all y'all think it's dry. I like my turkey on Thanksgiving. That's what I like. I could derail this pod, and we'll just, we could just talk about how to cook a turkey for the next two hours, but uh, I like that Traeger idea. If I had a Traeger, that's what I would do. Um, yeah. Just because, just you know, it's, it's practically like throwing it into a computer and just having right. a computer do everything <laughs> for you. You just um, got to make sure there's pellets in it, and other than that, you just... Call it a day, but I'm I'm afraid I haven't looked. I'm afraid I'd have to start freaking smoking that thing tomorrow <laughs> to get it done by oh, Thursday. No, it'll take forever. <laughs> I mean, I, I've I've tried to do a little bit of smoking on my grill, and and it's not a Traeger. I just have a Weber kettle, uh, so sure. it's a lot harder. But man, yeah, it takes forever. So yeah, um, yeah. so that's hoops and that's uh, hoops. and Turkey Day, and there's a football game on Friday. Uh, let, let's get into our locks for that game. Lock of the week. Let's do it. Lock of the week. Ducks and the Beavers. We both think Oregon wins, but now we tell you why. Uh, Justin, what's your lock this week? Well, you know, I would like to say that uh, I feel like I've been on an offensive train the last few weeks. You know, I know I had Burdell in there, and I had Jalen Red, and and I had uh, you know Devin Williams was the big call for last week, which you know certainly pan, uh, panned out in spades. And I like to say I'm going to buck that trend, but I'm not. I'm going to stick with offense. I'm going to stick with another pick for offense. And here's what I got. I'm going with Johnny Johnson having a monster game, 150 yards plus receiving. Okay, Johnny Johnson, the guy that basically, I don't know, I without looking at the stat sheet, probably caught less than a half dozen balls so far this season, but has come up with some big catches, has been a selfless blocker on the team, has been a just do-it-all kind of guy, hasn't been hurt, been out there. And to my knowledge, Johnny Johnson had some monster games down the stretch last year, and I think his time's come. And the reason I say that is I do believe that Oregon State, if they're smart, and I believe that they will sell out and try to stop the run against Oregon, I think that's the recipe. I think if you're looking to beat Oregon, you're taking your chances, and your best bet is selling out to stop the run. And I think Oregon State's going to do that. And the problem with that is I think they're going to get caught this week. I think Oregon's going to be able to run some effective play action. I still think Oregon will be effectively moving the ball on the ground. I think that's going to be a key component of how Oregon wins. So it would have been easy to say Verdell or whoever has a big game this week, but I'm going with Johnny Johnson as being kind of that, Hey, I got to push the safety back, you know, the safety's back and make them, make them stay on us. I'm going to punish them. I think him and Tyler Shuck hook up this week. I'm calling for 150 plus yards receiving 
and a tug from Johnny J this weekend. I love that pick. I, I was just going to say Devin Williams to go 100 and a couple of touchdowns because I love the size and the swagger that he's brought that receiving core. Uh, but I don't want to double up too far on the whiteouts because I, I don't know if both of those things can happen in the same game. I'll go on. <laughs> it the would other be pretty side. amazing if it did. It, it would it, be. I don't think Duck fans wouldn't be upset. That's right, for sure. Right. I mean, it, yeah. basically, if that happened, we could say if Devin Williams crosses 100 yards and a couple touchdowns, and Johnny Johnson the third goes 150 and a couple scores, this is the best offense since Dennis Dixon or Masoli or Mariota, no doubt. Um, I don't think that'll happen, but I think it's going to be a good day offensively. I'll go to the other side of the ball, and I'll just say a, a repeat of what I said earlier. As much as everybody jokes you know, of Bagley the Beaver fan, I'm not wearing a Tristan Jebbia jersey. If I were in charge of the Oregon State depth chart, I would bench that young man. Um I think that he's going to throw a lot of picks. I think at least three interceptions are, are snagged by Oregon on Friday and maybe more just because I have not liked his decision-making and I, I've really disliked his accuracy. I think he might be the least accurate quarterback in the Pac-12, and I think we see that on Friday. Gotcha. So your your bold prediction is that Oregon will have three interceptions. At You're not going to name picks. any – at least three picks. Nobody yeah. specific, just no. that Oregon's defense will force three three interceptions. I'm not a wise sage like you. Last year, we would be recording this in person in my studio, and every week, folks, if, if you were gambling on these games, you could have made a lot of money, you would say, oh, I think Javon Holland is going to have a big week, and then he'd have like three picks. Or you'd go, yeah, you know, Kayvon Thibodeau, I really like what I saw from him in practice. Two sacks. Every week. I don't have that gift. I can't. I can't go that far in depth. Well, that's the that's the nice thing about having great players on a roster. You can kind of <laughs> single them out and say, "Hey, look, this guy's going to play really good and make me look smart." And they traditionally pan out. It's like saying Patrick Mahomes is going to throw three touchdown passes. Like, oh. damn, you're smart. Like, oh. well, yeah, I am. Uh. Oh. It's too soon. <laughs> oh, did that one hurt? Was that below the belt? Oh. yeah. It, it's gonna. You know what's. Can I can I say this for a minute? I know this is not a Raider pod. I know there's no reason for me to, to, to ruin your day with NFL, but that is the most complicated game ever. Like, they lose. The Raiders lose. Patrick Mahomes saves a day, makes that comeback, does everything he needs to, and I still have no way to know how to feel about that. Because the, <laughs> the Raiders looked great. Right. You know, it's just peak Mahomes Patrick Mahomes just doing his thing there's nothing well, you can do about that and it, you know just related to what we're talking about on the podcast if you're Oregon would you rather win ugly or lose pretty right you know what I mean you'd rather and, win ugly yeah you'd always win ugly and and and, and, and it's, it's a perfect because like you said the Raiders played a really good game they really did uh move the ball really well and at the end of the day you've got you know, insert Patrick Mahomes, Aaron Rodgers, Drew Bees, you know, somebody with enough time left on the clock and they go and do what Patrick Mahomes did. Right. You know, it's just, then you sit there, you probably knew it. You're like, oh, crap, the whole drive too fast. The whole, yeah, the like, whole drive. I'm thinking he's yeah. a hero and he's going to be the hero. Right. But it, it like, still it doesn't, you know, cure that pain. Yeah, it would have been better off if Jason Witten had gotten tackled on the one yard line, but <laughs> he, he didn't. So. Right. Uh, but no, so I, I don't know. I guess that's a wrap. We got the games in. We talked to ducks and beavers and and ducks and Bruins, and we've 
a little bit on basketball and I don't know, Thanksgiving's on. So hopefully this can help some of you pass the time. If you're out there deep frying a turkey or maybe if you're it, maybe you're dropping one in the Traeger today, I assume, or tomorrow. I don't know. I'd have to look, but I'm just guessing it's a probably a 48 hour or longer cook on a Traeger. It's a huge bird. It's going to take some time. Yeah, if you're doing low and slow, obviously. So, But uh, I think most importantly for Matt and myself, thanks for listening. Have a safe holiday weekend. Have a, have a fun holiday weekend. And uh, obviously, I guess we send it off with a Go Ducks every week. So uh, Go Ducks.